Welcome to New Year, New You. Uh, we are so honored you're here. If you're with us for the first time, thank you so much for coming out and being with us. Uh, and we're glad all the rest of us are here as well. Today, I want to say to you, uh, the part I need to talk to us about of uh, the new you, uh, this is going to be a little bit challenging. And the reason is, is because I need to talk to you about how you handle conflict. Now, all of us have a way that we handle conflict, and what I'm going to talk to you about, it's not like it's going to be new. You will have heard this. It's just that most of us aren't very good at this, or we haven't done it very much. In fact, when it comes to dealing with conflict, uh, largely you can divide all of us into one or two groups. For some of us, the way we handle conflict is when the pain gets too much in a relationship or the hurt gets too deep, we just, tend, we just shut down. We pull back in the relationship or we figure out how we're going to work around it. And that's how you deal with conflict. You just push the hurt down and you either get out of the relationship or you work around it and, and that's your conflict plan. For others of us, our plan is not we're going to work around anything and, and we're, not, we're not trying to get even. We're planning on getting ahead. I don't plan to pay you back. I plan to get way ahead in this relationship so you don't ever, ever do that again. And the truth is, nobody sat down and taught us these things. They're just sort of the way that we learn to do these things. And for most of us, we don't even like the way we do it. We don't like the results of it. We don't like what it's done in our relationships, the way that we tend to handle it, one of these two ways. It's not, it's not the way we think is necessarily right, but it's the patterns we fall into when it comes to handling conflict. Well, that brings us to what we talk about today, because if you didn't know, we're learning from Jesus in his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And last week when Jason was teaching us that part that's become known as the Lord's Prayer, uh, there's a phrase right in the middle of that where Jesus says to us as he's teaching us in prayer how to, how to build our relationship with God, he says, you should pray to your Father, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Jesus says that we should pray to God and say, God, I know that there are debts that I have between me and you, that there are things that I've done, I've missed the mark, I, have, I, don't, I don't claim to have everything right, and God, I need, I need your help to deal with that. All of us are in the same boat, all of us have missed the mark, all of us have, none of us are, are, are perfectly right between us and God, and we need God to deal with that. But not only do all of us have debts, all of us, all of us have debtors. By that I mean between me and you, between you and other people, there they're people that you trusted, that they violated your trust. They're people that you, you listened to what they said and it turned out to be a lie. They're people that took your reputation by lying about you. They're people that you, you thought you could count on and they owe you. There's a death that they owe you because of what's happened between you. For every person listening, every person taking up space, all of us sucking air, we are both debtors and we have debtors. Which brings us to the crossroads that Jesus wants to talk to us about of how we handle conflict. Now, my goal for us today is I want to be crystal clear on what Jesus is saying about this. And I don't want to just focus on this phrase that I've already read to you. I really just want to focus on one word that Jesus says. In this, Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive. We have forgiven those who have debts against us, or we have debts against. It's that word as. Jesus makes a connection that there's, God is going to connect how I treat the other people who have incurred debts to me 
and how he deals with the debts that I have with him. In fact, to make that clear, Jesus continues right after the prayer and says, For if you forgive other people, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, Jesus being a great teacher, this is such importance to him that he doesn't teach it just once. In fact, eventually, I want, I want to show you a story that Jesus eventually tells to get this point across to his disciples. He says that the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. And one of the servants comes before him, and he owes the king 10,000 denarii. He owes him this huge debt, and he's unable to pay. And so the king says, we're going to sell him and his wife and his children until the whole debt is paid. So there's this guy, and he owes this enormous debt. But I don't think most of us get how large the debt that Jesus is talking about because he uses a sum of money that we no longer we no longer use. He doesn't use dollars and cents or yen or any of those things we understand instead of this thing of a talent. Now, one talent was an enormous sum of money in their day, just one. In fact, to get you sort of uh, on the line to this, a Roman historian tells us that that whole area of Judea and Samaria, the country Jesus was living in, that one year they had to send taxes to Rome and the amount that the whole country sent in taxes was 600 talents. Do you remember how much Jesus said this guy owed? He owed 10,000 talents. Now, this is another of those places where I think Jesus is intentionally trying to provoke laughter from his crowd. I think he's like he's telling a story and he says this guy owned a, a large sum of money and he almost goes to kids' language and he said he owed so much like a bagazillion dollars. It's, it's a number that's just hilarious to even think about. It's, not even a, it's just an over-the-top num number. It's, it's like our national debt. We don't even take it seriously anymore. Nobody really thinks about it. So several things would immediately occur to the people who hear, G hear Jesus telling the story. First, they'd think to themselves, so how does a slave get to the point that he owes that much money to a king? Because kings were not in the habit of, of loaning national debt-sized loans to slaves. And of course, Jesus is trying to get them to think, well, that must mean this is a different kind of king. This king is exceptionally generous. The second thing they would think is, well, what kind of slave is it that would get that kind of money from a king and not have any thought of how he's going to pay it back? I mean, who would get indebted to a king in that kind of way, take the whole sum of money and blow it without ever, ever thought of how am I going to pay that back? And they're, of course, thinking, well, it's got to be somebody incredibly foolish, just a stupid, stupid slave. The third thing they would note is, even though the king is generous, they would note, he's a king that settles accounts. Every servant is coming before him to settle accounts. So the time comes for this particular servant, this dumb guy, to come to settle accounts. And Jesus says, when he can't pay it, the, the sentence is pronounced. Sell him and his wife and his children and everything he has to pay this unpayable debt. Now that would not have been a surprise to them. That was very common in their day that debtor's prison, to, to put a person in prison because you throw them in prison, it puts pressure on their relatives to get the money to pay them back. It makes the debt stand good. Somebody's got to pay. But this debt's so unpayable, he has to sell him and his wife and his children 
There's no one left to pay. In fact, what's happened is the debt was so huge, this man and his children and their children for generations will be slaves. They'll have to pay off this debt. It's unpayable in this instance. But the slave, the servant, is so desperate, he decides to take one last shot in the dark. The servant falls to his knees before the king and says, Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. To which the listeners are thinking, what? I mean, come on, man. Did you forget the size of the debt? You, you owe the national debt of several countries. In what world do you think you are ever, ever going to be able to pay this back? It's, it's just a joke. It's another laughing matter for Jesus' audience. It'd be like me saying, and then I decided I would empty the ocean with a teaspoon. It'll, it'll never happen. It's this last-ditch kind of effort by a foolish guy to see if somebody will buy his line one more time, if somebody will be listening. Here's the king. He's settling accounts, and they all know what the pronouncement's going to be because in their economy, the, li the, the listeners are thinking, son, you owe, you pay. But then Jesus shocks everybody by saying the king, he has compassion. In fact, he, he literally says, the king has pity on the man. And then the original text says the king moved in pity, and he does two things, and he does them in order. He releases the man. He doesn't put him in jail. He gives him back his home. He puts him back with his wife and children. He's not going to lose everything. He's back exactly where he was. But he doesn't say to him, okay, you're free. Now go work and earn and pay this off. Instead, the king goes one step further and says, the whole debt's canceled. And now at this point, every listener knows, oh, now we're in the upside down. Now nothing works like it used to work. We understood the economy before of you owe, you pay. But this king, he's now entered us into the economy of grace, where he says to this slave, you owe and I'll pay. It doesn't just go away. Somebody has to bite the bullet. That I'll have to, I'll have to pay for that. And that's what he does. In that moment, this king gives this man everything back. His whole life comes back in a moment when the king says, you owe, I'll pay. I'll suffer the loss that you should have suffered. Now imagine what happens to that man when he goes home. He walks out and he walks into his house and he sees his wife and he realizes, I'll never know the embarrassment I have to tell her, hey, I wagered it all and I lost her house and now you're going to prison. When he goes and he tucks his kids in at night, he tucks them in. He knows they're, they're never going to know slavery. They're, they're free. Not only did we not go to jail, there's a debt they owe. They're never going to have to pay. His whole life is saturated in grace from this king. And now, of course, you know. I mean, you get it, don't it? Don't you? That this is us. This is the story of us. Jesus is not talking about somebody else. He's, he's reminding us. This is our life. This is our story. There is a God, and he is incredibly good, and he is lavishly generous, and he is painstakingly just. He, he does call to account, but he's incredibly gracious. And all of us are debtors. All of us stand before him in his debt. Anytime we're less than honest, any... Anytime we shade the truth, anytime we fudge an expense account, anytime we don't tell the truth on a tax return, every time we're not kind 
to a five-year-old. Every time that we could speak words of love to a person that we do love, but instead we decide to needle them, and instead of needling them, we actually hammer them. Every time that we could do kindness to a person that's around us, every racist joke, every lustful thought, every sexual encounter that's not right in the way that it should be, every time we mount up a mountain of moral debt before God. This is me. This is my story. You wonder, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I've been doing this for more than 30 years, and that list that I just gave you, I came up with the 30 seconds because that's my story. This is me. But one day, Jesus came to me and he said, God wants you to know that you owe, but I'll pay. And on that day, everything changed. And for many of you, many of you listening, the king came to you and said the same thing. Do you remember that day? For some of you, maybe you didn't know. And today could be your day. Today could be the day. I'm here to tell you there is a good God. He is lavishly generous. He is incredibly gracious. And he wants you to know that even though you owe, he's willing to pay. You can live in the economy of grace. Do you want it? Do you want to live in it? I owe my whole life to grace, as does every other follower of Christ. Well, this is Jesus' story, and it's a wonderful story. But it turns out this is just the first act of this story, and this is not a one-act story. The servant then goes out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him. Now he's not the one in debt. He's the one that has a debtor. And Jesus, who's the master storyteller, has this second servant say the exact same words to this man had just uttered to the king. He says to him, be patient with me and I'll repay it all to you. Now, Jesus' listeners would, of course, expect, I get how the story goes. He's been forgiven much. Of course he will give. He's been lavished with grace. Grace has been showered on him. Of course he will forgive the other person. If for no other reason, I mean, this guy, at least this other debtor, is his peer. They are exactly the same. They are both slaves. Before, the king and he were not peers. The king could have rightly sold this slave at any time and been perfectly within his rights. But in the first act, the king shows mercy to this. And they knew, they knew, they knew this this slave would offer, if for no other reason to just say thanks to the king for allowing him to live in that place. And you'll notice the size of the debt is quite different. Now, I think it's important that Jesus notes it's 100 denarii, which is not, which is not just nothing. Jesus isn't saying the amount he owed was nothing. A denarius was a, a, a day's la a labor. So Jesus says this other servant owes him about 100 days labor. But it's infinitely no, more payable than a bagazillion dollars. And the whole story hinges on what will he do. And they knew that he would show grace. It's just a tiny way, tiny way of saying to the king, thank you for giving it to me. So imagine their shock when Jesus says to them, he showed no pity. This man who had been saved by grace, who had been immersed in grace, there's no compassion. There is no tear of pity from his eyes. Instead, he comes to the man who owes him this hundred-day debt, and he grabs him. He seized him by the throat, and he, he began to choke him. You know, 
to see somebody by the throat, to begin to choke them, is, is a sign that you want to hurt them. You want to do violence to them. Bitterness has come to the point that it wants to take place in physical kind of action. He doesn't want to forgive this debt. He doesn't want to let it go. He doesn't want to give this man time off. In fact, he doesn't give him time to even pay the debt off. He immediately has him thrown into jail where he cannot pay it off. And here's the thing. When I listen to how Jesus tells the story, I wonder if this man ever really got grace. Did he ever, did he ever even understand grace at all? I mean, it's just a masterfully told story. You remember, the guy doesn't ask for grace. He doesn't ask for the, for the whole thing to be forgiven. He's at a point, he still thinks somehow that somebody will buy his line, that somebody will listen to him, foolish as he is. He doesn't even see that it's a gazillion dollars. He's still so arrogant that he thinks somehow he can work off the unpayable debt. He doesn't ask for grace. He still just wants somebody to allow him to get off the hook and continue to do what he wants to do. I don't think he ever got grace at all. I don't know that for sure. I don't know it, but I think all he wanted was to be let off the hook. And there's a huge difference between receiving grace and being wanting to just get off the hook. What I know for sure, what I know for sure is he certainly isn't planning on offering grace. There's no degree of grace within him. He isn't going to offer. He isn't going to give grace. He's been saved by the king's grace, but he will not offer it. And I just want to say again, you do see it, don't you? This is us. This is me. I have been this servant. I mean, I know what it's like to see somebody by the throat. I know what it's like to want to hurt somebody in my heart for the hurtful things. I know what it is like to have been hurt or disappointed by somebody and to take that bitterness and let it grow to the point that I actually think about bad things happening to them. I know sometimes, even in the lives of people I love, I mean, I know what it's like to just harbor a little hurt against somebody who I love, I genuinely love, and allow that to to build to the point that I wind up saying intentionally, intentionally saying things that are hurtful to them. I know what it's like to be the servant who wants to hurt. I also know I'm like this servant in that, I'm like the slave in this story in that I'm, I'm the biggest debtor I know. And the debt between me and God is infinitely greater than any debt that anybody else has ever owed me. I'm the biggest debtor I know. And see, I don't know about your debts. I don't even know about the debts of the people that I'm in a relationship with. I, and I, don't, I don't know what happens inside of you. I don't know what goes on in your mind. I don't know about the dark places in your life. I don't know about the hidden darkness. But you know, I do know about mine. I know about the thoughts I have. I know about the things that they couldn't see. I know the kind of dad I could have been. I know the kind of husband I could be that I often am not. I know the kind of pastor that I could be and I'm often not. I know my shortcomings. I know the sin that lurks inside me. I know the character defects that even when I try, I can't seem to get right. I don't know all the things that go on inside of you, but I know what happens inside of me. And I am the biggest debtor I know. And you know what? You're the biggest debtor you know as well. And in light of that, to withhold grace from some other poor debtor, is, it's, just un, it's just unthinkable in light of what we as followers of Christ, 
We've been showered in grace and immersed in grace. We've been brought into the economy of grace. And not to offer it is just unthinkable, is just unacceptable. So Jesus says, When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went out and told their master everything. Do you do everything in your power to deal with ungraciousness in the body of Christ? Does it trouble you when you see it? Do you see it in others? Or have you just come to accept that that's the world we live in, that people live with bitterness and we can't do anything about it? Well, in this story, in, the, in this kingdom, in the presence and power of God, these servants are bothered, which leads us out of the second act into act three. The original slave is brought back in, but this time it's a vastly different story. The king doesn't even give him the opportunity to talk that we can even see. He just brings him before him. And this time there's no bargaining, there's no pleading, there's no more foolishness out of this slave. He looks at the man as if to say, you didn't get it, did you? You didn't get what I offered you. You didn't get what I gave you. You didn't see it. You thought because I was gracious that I was some kind of fuzzy-minded person? You thought that I didn't really notice what was happening? You have badly mistaken me, sir. You've forgotten who you were. I gave you grace. I offered you the opportunity. I took you out of the, the economy of vengeance, and I brought you into the economy of grace, but you wouldn't give it. You only wanted to live in an economy where you put your hands on other people and your bitterness had reigned. Well, then have it your way. And then he says, take him away. And then Jesus actually says these words. In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that was owed. Which, of course, we know it can't be repaid. And then comes a verse that should send chills up our spine. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive one another from your heart. I have to tell you, I don't know how Jesus could have made it any clearer. Forgive, her, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You've got some debtors. Maybe it's a mom or dad or a brother or a sister or a neighbor or a friend or a child, someone you trusted. Maybe it's somebody sitting really near you in this room. Will you choose to live in grace? I want to say before I get to the very end of what I want to talk to you about, I want to say what forgiveness is not. To forgive somebody doesn't mean that I excuse what they do. And it doesn't mean I tolerate continued wrongdoing. It doesn't mean that I have to accept everything that comes from them. And it doesn't mean I have to do what the other person wants me to do. It doesn't mean that I have to put up with anything that comes at me. Some of you have experienced exceptionally deep wounds. In fact, some of you are in abusive situations and you, you should not tolerate that. And we want to help if that's the situation you're in. If you would just contact us, let us know. We'll try to do our best to help. It doesn't mean allowing behavior to go on that no one should allow to go on. Some of you have experienced situations 
where it's just too deep to continue. It doesn't even mean that I have to reconcile with the other person. Reconciliation will require both parties to own what is their part and to work on it. You can't do that if the other person isn't willing to repent, isn't willing to own up to it. You cannot build a relationship with a person when they continue to do the wrong things. Forgiveness simply means I give up my right to make you pay. It means I give up my right to make sure you pay. It means I give up my right to hurt you back and that I wish you well before God. And I can do that no matter what the other person does. In fact, you'll remember in this story, this servant doesn't ask for grace. The king just, the king just grants it. He just gives it. And you can do that. You can do that if you choose. And you may need a lot of help, and God is there to stand by. But it's the only way, and the stakes are so high. Philip Yancey, in his great book, What's So Amazing About Grace, writes this. He says, I have a friend whose marriage has gone through tumultuous times. One day, George passed a breaking point. He pounded the table and the floor. I hate you, he screamed as his wife. I won't take it anymore. I've had enough. I won't go on. No, no, no. Several months later, my friend woke up in the middle of the the night, and he heard strange sounds coming from the bedroom of his two-year-old. He padded down the hall and stood for a moment outside his son's door, and shivers ran down his spine. He could not draw his own breath. In in a soft voice, the two-year-old was repeating word for word with precise inflection the words between mother and father. I hate you. I won't take this anymore. No, no, no. A two-year-old. And George realized that in some awful way, he had just bequeathed his pain and anger and hatred and unforgiveness to the whole next generation. That's the economy of vengeance. And that's the economy of our world. Just open up your browser and look in your news feed and look at the gotcha politics that is our world. Look at what goes on in Syria. Look at what happens in Israel. Look at what happens in Washington. But you don't even have to look that far. It happens every day in Sharpsburg. It happens every day in in Noonan. It happens in companies, it happens in families, it happens in marriages, it happens between fathers and sons and daughters and moms, it happens between friends. Every day in Peachtree City, it happens all around us. We've been offered to live an economy of grace and we choose to live in an economy of vengeance. And I wonder, over the last 2,000 years that these words of wisdom have been given to us, how many marriages and how many churches and how many lives and how many friendships could have been changed and saved if when we got to the Lord's Prayer that we repeat in all kinds of places, if we just pause at this line where it says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. If we just pause at that point and we let the Holy Spirit work, And I sense that he has some work to do in us this weekend. So that's exactly what I want us to do to close. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. On your chair, when you came in, you should see a card. We we did another card earlier in the service, but this one should say forgiveness on it, and it's blue. Would, Would you grab that right now? 
And just hold it for a second. I want us to do something together. The Lord's Prayer that we prayed together last week and that Jason challenged us to pray all this week long and from which this one phrase that we've been talking about today come from, I'm going to put it on the screen and I'm going to ask us to pray it together out loud again. I literally want you to say these words with me together out loud again. Except this time when we get to the line that we've talked about today, we're just going to pause I'm going to make a few comments, and then I'm going to give silence for you and God to talk about that one line. So if you got your card, hold on to your card, and then let's pray this prayer together that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, you bow your head for just a second and I urge you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Maybe you have some very deep hurt. There's someone that you trusted, someone, a mom or a dad, teacher, parent, an uncle, a relative, a friend, and they've wounded you in ways that you can barely think about. And everything in you, when you think about them, has something that makes you want to say, you owe, you pay. But you know in this moment you need to forgive. Would you ask right now, Holy Spirit, will you bring any person's name or face to my mind that I need to forgive? Would you say that right now? Holy Spirit, would you bring any face or name to my mind that I need to forgive? Now, God's brought someone to your mind. Would you take the pen and would you write their name on this card or write a way that you can think of them if they're close by and you don't want to put their name or if that's too revealing? Would you put something that will cause you to remind you of what God has just brought to your mind? Okay. Now, would you take a moment just between you and God and would you ask the Holy Spirit again to help you see what it is you think they owe you, what you believe they owe you? It could be, well, he was my dad, and he owed me to be there for me, to show up for me. She was my mom, and she was unfaithful to my dad, and she took away, she owes me a family that would be stable, and that I could grow up in the same home with mom and dad together. My partner stole from me, and now he, he took away my ability to trust anyone. Holy Spirit, reveal to us what we are owed. Now, if you can name it, 
I want you again to write something on this card that will remind you of what it is that they owe you. And then here's the final thing. I want to draw your mind back now with the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about the cards that we did earlier in this service where we wrote down what we knew we owed God and we took them and we threw them away. God, because He's perfect, has the ability that when we ask and we want grace, He gives it to us and it's gone. It's removed forever. But we, we don't have that capability. So I'm going to ask you not to throw this card away, but to keep it. And what I want you to ask to write at the bottom of this card is, what I want you to write is, God, as God has forgiven, as God has forgiven me, so I forgive. As God has forgiven me, so I forgive. Now, don't throw this card away. I want you to hold on to it, and I want it to become a reminder of you of what the Holy Spirit's brought to your mind. Father in heaven, would you help people right now to take concrete steps to do what you've asked them to do? Now, we're going to end this service by our musicians are going to come back and they're going to lead us in a song. And while you're thinking about that, I'm going to ask you as we sing the words of this song, they're going to remind us of the great grace of our God that you hold onto this card and the whole time you're reminding of how good God has been and the economy of grace he's allowed you to live in and us to go from this place and to extend that avenue of grace to every person around us. May it be so in Jesus' name. Let's stand together now and let's sing together.